Hey everybody, just a quick note. When we recorded this episode, I had severe allergies. And I was pretty sure I had Mike on mute half the time when it actually wasn't. So I'm sorry if you hear a lot of feedback or me clearing my throat or coughing or anything like that. Hopefully it won't be too much of a distraction. Superhero High, where everyone is busy preparing for the annual Hero of the Year ceremony. Introducing DC Superhero Girls, Wonder Woman. Time to save the day. <laughs> Supergirl. <laughs> Batgirl. Come on, girls. It's hero time. <laughs> Harley Quinn. <laughs> Katana and Poison Ivy. <laughs> and Bumblebee. In their very first movie, darkness will overcome the light. Come on! Eclipso! Put down that scepter. Darkness attack! This is a school for superheroes, not supervillains. Yeah, honey! Get your You're mine, Dark Opal. You're not getting away. Now's the time Darkness will rule. I'm taking you in. That's how we do it. DC Superhero Girls, Hero of the Year. Look for it on DVD and Digital HD. You're all heroes of the year in my book. We're DC Welcome to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. I'm your host, the caffeinated Clinton Robison, but this episode won't be our usual short and sweet fare. Instead, this time, we're in for another little friendly chat. Joining me this time around is the award-winning Supergirl expert, Dr. Ange. How are you, Ange? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. This should be a fun time. I'm glad you joined us. Uh, I'm sure everybody listening already knows, but can you give us a little bit of your comics background and what attracted you specifically to Supergirl? Well, uh, I've been reading comics probably for close to 40 years now. Uh, that'll give you at least a reference range for how old I am. Um, and always seem to be um, most interested in DC comics for some reason. And in fact, I consider my first comics to be... Um, some sort of Mike Grell era Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes books. So very early on, I got to really like the Superboy slash Superman family, and they became sort of like my favorite heroes. But, you know, when you're growing up, you're sort of like, who do I want to be like? Who inspires me? And those two guys were both sort of too perfect for me to really sort of feel like, you know, I could really aspire to be them and I was going to be like them. Uh and so then Supergirl was part of their family, and she was a much more relatable character. She kind of changed jobs a bunch of times. She changed schools a bunch of times. Um, she could fail, right? She was always trying to impress people, you know, because she really wanted to be liked. She had a really difficult romantic life. There were all of these things about her that kind of felt a little bit more real. Um, and plus, she had all of the great uh, Kryptonian superpowers as well. So... You know, it was kind of weird for a young boy to be saying my favorite character is Supergirl, but that's kind of how that all evolved. Okay, so what you're saying is the Supergirl TV show is right up your alley. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, I was very excited when they announced that that was going to happen. I was a little bit worried, you know, because you don't know how exactly it's going to be pulled off. But um, I think uh, that's really been uh, better than I anticipated it would be. And in particular, I think Melissa Benoist as Supergirl has just been the perfect embodiment of that character. Okay. All right, so we're here to talk about DC Superhero Girls, and especially the movie Hero of the Year. For those unfamiliar with the property, DC Superhero Girls is a superhero franchise created by DC Comics and Mattel that launched in the third quarter of 2015. At Superhero High School, well-known DC superheroes, both male and female, attend challenging classes and deal with all the awkwardness of growing up with the added stress of having unique superpowers. The movie Hero of the Year was released August 2016, after a successful web series, which is still going. Ange, how familiar are you with DC Superhero Girls? You know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar uh, with this series. Anytime sort of DC comes out with some sort of standing animated show of their characters, I'll usually at least keep my eye on it. And, you know, if it's available on television, sort of DVR it and keep watching. And of course, this one has Supergirl as a prominent character, and uh, I have three daughters at home uh, who probably are a little bit too old for this material, but I still sort of subject them to it now and then. So I will admit every so often I have to go to the website and catch up on like 10 of the small webisodes, but, you know, it's in my favorites column on my internet browser, uh, if that's a way to put it. <laughs> well, personally, I'm about a season and a half behind on the, the webisodes, you know, but trying to keep up with the DVDs themselves. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I think that's probably the most important thing is that it's pretty lighthearted. And uh, as a result, it's almost like candy. You know, <laughs> you're not supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to take it seriously. It's very easy to ingest and then it's gone, you know, mm. so. And for those uh, that aren't familiar, there is also a uh, graphic novel series. It's also released uh digitally i believe is that correct that is correct at least for this last one they've started to um, release it digitally with the plan to uh, collect it as a whole okay um do you know how well those you know the graphic novels and the webisodes and everything how well they sync together do they take diverging paths or i know shay fontana is associated with all the property in general yeah, I mean, I don't think that uh, there'll ever be anything in, like, uh, the comic book that will say, please see episode 214 for details, but <laughs> um, but there's certainly not any glaring difference in the way anybody is sort of portrayed, and it does seem to be pretty, smoothless, uh, pretty smooth. Mm -hmm. um, even, I would say, um, in the last uh, free comic book that was given out, the DC Superhero Girls comic on Wonder Woman Day, mm -hmm. there's actually a callback in that to something that happens in this movie that, you know, you don't need to know that it happened in this movie, but if you do, uh, it kind of makes it that much better. So we're not going to expect any sudden Wonder Woman graduates in the comics, but she's still there in the DVDs. No, 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 no shift so. like that. I don't think, yeah, I don't think any major shift um, will happen. Now, I will say that um, they're coming out with a cartoon series on the Cartoon Network 
that is being headed up by Lauren Faust, who was involved with the first couple of seasons of My Little Pony when that really exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that means that Shay Fontana is kind of being pushed out of the books or not, um, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not there's a different feel. Well, I know she's had a recent run on Wonder Woman, and um, I think she's getting shifted around to some other properties from rumors I've heard. So she she may actually be getting more um, into the DC Universe proper. So, hmm. But no, I, I look forward to seeing that. Especially, yeah, yeah. It would be interesting if they actually crossed that over with Justice League action. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed Justice League action too, so, you know, the more stuff you put on the TV, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Sounds good to me. All right, Ange, so if you do us the honors of giving us a synopsis of Hero of the Year. Yeah, I'm more than happy to, and I will tell you that even though this movie's only about 90 minutes long, there is a lot of stuff that gets put in here, a lot of callbacks to DC Comics, a lot of the characters have their own little plot line, and so I'm hoping that this uh, synopsis isn't too long. So here we go. Uh, It is the end of the year at Superhero High, and all the students are gearing up for the Hero of the Year celebration. Wonder Woman, the expected favorite, and Bumblebee have been named finalists. Still, life goes on for the students in the community. Big Barda, a former adversary of the group, has amended her ways in the student body, even though not everyone trusts her. Wonder Woman is trying not to be crushed by the expectations of her mother. Batgirl is still trying to deal with her new life as both a student and being the daughter of the criminology professor. And Supergirl is still adjusting to life on Earth, missing her parents and trying to come to terms with her relationship with the Kents, Aunt Martha and Uncle Jonathan. Martha, why do you keep saying that name? But it isn't all fun and games. Uh, Dark Opal and Eclipso, specifically the Gene Loring Eclipso, are plotting to form an ultimate weapon to rule the universe. This scepter will be formed by mixing Big Boy's Mega Rod, Hawk Girl's Nth Metal Belt, but most importantly, the blue Nemesine crystal that Supergirl has, which was the final gift from her mother Allura as Krypton was exploding. This gem grants Supergirl visions of her mother, reminding her of how much she was loved. Uh, there are some skirmishes on campus and on Themyscira involving Dark Opal and Eclipso shadow demons, and during one of these fights, Bumblebee's battery gets damaged, keeping her in a shrunken and slightly depowered state for the majority of the remainder of the movie. Finally, that scepter is complete, except for the Nemesine crystal. Eclipso kidnaps the Kents, Hippolyta, and Commissioner Gordon, and takes them to the dark side of the moon where her headquarters is, imprisoning them and threatening to kill them if Supergirl doesn't turn over the stone. Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Batgirl, and Bumblebee all head to the moon. After a brief standoff, Kara relinquishes the stone, and with the scepter complete, Eclipso gains full power, brainwashes the hero's parents, turning them into mindless slaves, and then imprisons the superhero girls in a force field, all while a giant bomb counts down. Luckily, Bumblebee eluded the force field and was able to grab Eclipso's black diamond before Eclipso teleports to Earth. And using the last of her suit's power, Bumblebee shoots the diamond, destroying the force field and freeing the girls. On Earth, with her new power, Eclipso unleashes an army of shadow demons on campus, hoping that she will be able to enslave the students and create a superpowered army. There, we see the rest of the heroes and, you know, the cast fight valiantly, giving everybody sort of a special moment. Meanwhile, Supergirl and Wonder Woman return to Earth and re-engage with Eclipso. A massive brawl breaks out. 
realizing it is her only option, Supergirl uses her heat vision to destroy her mother's nemesine gem, destroying the scepter and stopping Eclipso, but also severing one of her last ties to her home, Krypton. Before the gem explodes, Kara has one more vision of Allura, who tells Kara that she will always be loved, but that Kara needs to move on and find love and a new family on Earth. With the villains captured, there's nothing left but to party. The celebration is held at the Kent Farm, probably because the campus is semi-destroyed. Supergirl gives one of the broken shards of her gem to Bumblebee, who uses it to repower her suit. And then Bumblebee is given the Hero of the Year award for her bravery and sacrifice. Supergirl keeps the largest piece of her gem as a keepsake. She calls the Kent's family and agrees to live on the Kent Farm over the summer, with Shiva and Barda joining her. And Hippolyta says she loves Diana unconditionally. All seems to be well. But then we see Eclipso's ruined fortress on the moon begin to reassemble itself. Dun, dun, dun. End credits. And there's some <laughs> wonderful end credits, by the way. Yeah, the whole thing, I think, is pretty well done. Yeah, overall, I'd have to agree. I mean, it's you really don't need a previous introduction to the series, even though... The, the DVD is chock full of many of the webisodes and just actual background in general, but you can pretty much gather it all within the first five minutes of the show if if you're not familiar with it in, at all. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think uh, one of the first things you see is Big Barda, um, you know, becoming a student even at the end of the school year. And it was either in a prior film or maybe in the webisodes, that the fatal uh, or the female furies fought everyone and at the end of that big barda kind of like grabs one of the pamphlets of the school and kind of looks longingly and so if you've seen that when you see that she is now part of the school you're like oh this is a continuation of that storyline she's kind of amended but if you don't know that it's you know you just pick it right up oh she was a villain once and now she's not so yeah, I agree with you. You don't really need to have a strong understanding of where these characters are coming from just to enjoy. And I love their depiction of Barda. I mean, yeah. I, it's it's perfect. I, you don't need to change anything about it. Yeah, she has one of the best lines in the movie for me, which is, um, you know, throughout the movie, Lady Shiva kind of isn't sure whether or not she trusts Barda. And then at one point during one of the battles, uh, Barda saves Lady Shiva from a shadow demon. And, and Shiva says, oh, uh, you really are good. And Big Barda says, please don't tell anybody. Then I'll have to hand out Valentine's Day cards, go to birthday parties, and help people move. And I don't want to do that. You really have changed. Oh, don't tell anyone. If people start believing I've gone good, I'll have to show up to birthday parties, hand out Valentine's, and help people move. No. It's gross. And, you know, that's like such a simple line. It's almost more like an adult line, like what kid is forced to help somebody move. So I think that was kind of thrown in there for the grown-ups. Exactly. And, and you do actually get a, a real insight into Barda's character when you know the, somebody tries to do something nice and she considers it to be a favor that she has to pay back. Yeah, you know, yeah. she's uh, lived on Apocalypse all of her life, and so all of this stuff is sort of new to her, you know? She's, she's still trying to figure it out. Yeah, and given Apocalypse, I'm sure favors are probably <laughs> not something you want to owe someone. <laughs> Here, help me take out the garbage. Fine, you have to help me you know, invade Earth. What? <laughs> 
yeah or you know hey you didn't repay me that favor let me throw you in you know the dungeon for the rest of your life <laughs> okay so um you know as we've seen uh dc superhero girls uses a lot of characters that are both familiar and unfamiliar uh for those of you who don't recognize Dark Opal. He's a character from Amethyst Princess of Gym World. I never yeah. in my life expected to see Dark Opal on an animated series. Yeah, and they kind of double down on it because there's a flashback where you actually see Amethyst Princess of the Gym World as she sort of um, tries to capture Dark Opal and uh, Eclipso on Gem World. And so both of those I thought were pretty deep cuts for um, for this movie and really made me smile. I was a big fan of that series, so um, so it was great to see sort of an actual amethyst uh, on the screen. What are your thoughts on the use of the Gene Loring Eclipso? Well, you know they never come right out and say it's the Gene Loring Eclipso, but she's the only female version of that character that I know, and obviously. Um, we know that Jean Loring goes down a relatively dark path in the comics, and that's what opens uh, her to being a vessel for the Eclipso uh, being. Um, and I'm glad they didn't touch upon any of that stuff <laughs> in the cartoon. Of course, uh, if I had my way, Identity Crisis probably would have never been done. Um, uh, but I think it's probably more that it's, you know, oh, if we're doing DC superhero girls, probably the villain should be a girl as well. And so I think that works. Um, you know, they don't come out and say it's Gene Loring. So maybe I'm just, you know, imprinting my DC history on that. Uh, could be. I I'm with you, though. It, it kind of comes across as it would be Gene Loring because of the being the only female Eclipso but they don't actually make her some kind of psychotic. They just make her a traditional, you know, evil bad guy kind of thing. Yeah, it's right. You know, she's got one goal in mind, and that's ruling the universe, right? So, I mean, uh, uh, there's not much motivation there outside of your classic, you know, uh, D-villain uh, in comic books. And yet it works. Yeah, you know, it did. It worked fine with me. I thought that that she was kind of right on the money, you know, and she kind of is. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting because um, at times she seems like she has absolutely no power. Right. She sends Dark Opal uh, to sort of do some of her dirty work. And then when she's on the moon base, she's got like absolute control over the building. She's making giant diamond shoot cannons. She's flinging giant rocks at people. So. She's kind of a little bit all over the board when it comes to her, um, you know, her power set. But I think that works as well, just to kind of keep the action moving uh, and upping the ante. Okay. In general, other than um, Barda's line, do you have any favorite moments? You know, I mean, I think the thing that really impressed me about this um, was that, you know, clearly they know that the money makers are you know, Wonder Woman, Batgirl, Supergirl, and Bumblebee, those are the big four. And each of them kind of have their own little plot. But as you watch this movie, you know, Lois Lane's got a little part, and, and she ends up sort of like, uh, you know, uh, getting in the face of Gorilla Grodd with a bunch of tough questions as she's sort of doing interviews. And you see Star Sapphire, and you see Katana and Lady Shiva and Starfire, and there's even like a minor subplot with Hawk Girl and Beast Boy. And really, they it was almost like a who's who, uh, you know, on the screen. 
and it's not just the girl characters. It's like you say, you see, you know, Green Lantern and the Flash and Crazy Quilt and all of these other characters that just really made it, um, you know, the breadth of the cast was pretty impressive. Um, if you're asking me in particular, were there any things that I liked a lot? I, of course, Harley Quinn is hysterical on this. And I thought it was amazing that she seemed to have the most success against these shadow demons at the end, right? She's just got that giant mallet and she's just smashing them. Uh, whereas people with legitimate superpowers seem to be like flummoxed by how to defeat them. Um, and then, you know, I, uh, I thought the whole um, Supergirl plot line of her trying to get accustomed to being on Earth and, you know, being at this high school and, you know, what is her relationship with the Kents and really missing her real parents. I thought that that was done well. You know, you can't expect everything to be rosy. You know, you have to expect her to sort of, you know, miss what's going on. And, and seeing her kind of struggle a little bit with, you know, where am I, who am I, um, I thought was done well. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Harley because this is literally my favorite version of Harley, this side of Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> yeah, she's just, um, she's almost like a live action, like, or live action. She's almost like a Looney Tune character. Exactly. You know, she, you know, she's just manifesting things out of thin air and, you know, y yodeling and, and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And see, I'm glad they did the Wonder Woman storyline. I, I really like the idea that there, you know, there's an option here that shows that you don't have to always succeed at everything. It's not important to be the best. Yeah, you know, she's definitely sort of struggling with um, the expectations of Hippolyta, right? Hippolyta has made, you know, a wing that's dedicated to all of the awards that Wonder Woman has won and has an empty pedestal for where they're going to put the Hero of the Year trophy. And you can just see that it makes Wonder Woman feel, you know, awkward, right? You know, she doesn't like it. But even other things where she's like, ugh, my mother thinks that I really love to eat olives and I hate olives. The texture is gross. Yeah, it's just sort of like, you know, trying to break away a little bit from, you know, she's a growing woman and she can have feelings of her own and sort of growing up away from your parents. So I thought that whole thing was well done. And as you say, especially the whole, you know, it's OK not to win all of the prizes, you know, mm -hmm. you'll still be loved. OK, were there any things you really didn't like? Uh, anything that I really didn't like? That's a really good question. Hmm. Uh, I will say that I think, um, hmm. you know, let me think about that. I'm going to be honest with you. Nothing really comes to mind. The whole thing is just kind of, you know, fast paced fun. I suppose the hawk girl beast boy little, uh, you know, they have a subplot where he's trying to become more of a gentleman and she's trying to teach him how to be a better detective. And then at the end, she has to tell him like, no, be yourself, be wild. That'll help us. But, um, it seemed kind of, uh, superfluous. Uh, and so time spent there could have been spelt some, spent somewhere else, well, but that's a quibble really. Yeah. I would say and it's not like there was anything major that stuck. Out. Well, I'm going to nitpick it even further at that point because as much as I appreciate the voice cast carrying over from Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go, God, I am so tired of Beast Boy calling every woman mama. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I get that if you 
put it in context of he was with the Doom Patrol and you know, Elastigirl was his uh, mother figure and all that. It, it's still just it, it gets worse and worse the more you think about it. So it, I don't know. It, it just seems like we're in 2017 at this moment. Um, I, I figure Beast Boy can be just a slightest bit more enlightened and not say mama. <laughs> yeah, um, especially within this this cartoon, right? You think that you know if you're trying to use this to you know teach young girls to be empowered and they can be their own heroes, that you know maybe somebody can call them on it. it doesn't have to be you know, uh, over the top political message just could be a reminder, like, please don't call me something like that. So, of course, you know, if, if he tries it with Barda or Shiva, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we won't say it twice. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I think that shows a pretty big hit. And so I wonder if, you know, that's just a way that you can try to get the boys who might not watch the girl TV show to sort of, um, come over. Because the cyborg voice and the starfire voice are the same, and their characters are very similar to the Teen Titans Go stuff, mm-hmm. although not quite as warped as the stories that they <laughs> say over there. It has a unique art style, especially in the the graphic novels. Uh, what do you what do you think of that overall? Yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, um, it definitely looks like a cartoon and looks like a kid's book. Um, I think that the um, the costumes that they've given them feel very high school to me in a way. So I think that that really works as well. I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want this to be drawn by you know, Jim Lee or Frank Miller, right? Uh, and uh, and I don't necessarily think that it needs to have a uh, anime feel to it at all. So, um, so I like it. I think these guys do a, a like a really good job with this um, because, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, I would watch, the, I when this first was announced, I'd watch it and I'd be like, oh, this is going to be aimed for like six-year-old kids and, you know, maybe I'll keep my eye on it now and then. But, you know, it's, it's a pretty fun it's you know pretty fun all around you know i don't mind watching this uh you know and i don't feel that it's like oh i'm only doing this for homework purposes i'm glad you brought up the costumes uh supergirl's costume is probably in my top three favorites of like any supergirl costume yeah you know um it just is totally um it's like high school girl on the tennis team right mm-hmm. you know she's got like the the polo shirt the chuck taylor converse you know the wristbands um i i think i think it really works as somebody who you know wears uh converse chuck taylors you know <laughs> uh you know i i like that look and i like the Batgirl one as well oh i like love it the, you know the um you know the bat ears and the cowl being like the hood of a sweatshirt mm-hmm. like that just that just seems spot on yeah she has a utility backpack instead of a utility belt yeah and kind of the big domino mask which i think works for me mm-hmm. and i really appreciate the fact that she's batgirl but oracle is her computer yeah, it's a nice connection to the character and the fact that, you know, she does. She's a computer whiz, right? She started out as, I think, the IT person mm-hmm. in the high school before she decides she's going to become a superhero. Um, 
So that that is um, a nice touch. Yeah, I, I kind of sit there and think, why couldn't we do this in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey? Why, why you didn't... mean the... Yeah, the, the uh, Rebirth title. She's something of a difficult uh, character because obviously I think when she was, you know, Oracle in the wheelchair, mm -hmm. like she was like a really great character and, you know, great representation and all of that stuff. Um, and then she gets uh, new 52'd. And while I usually like Gail Simone, I didn't really like what she was doing there. Dropped that pretty quickly. And then uh, did you get the um, uh, Burnside Batgirl stuff? I'm kind of spotty on that. Yeah. I have a few issues here and there. I like the costume. Yeah, yeah. She's kind of like a hipster. She's a little bit different. And at least it seemed to say, um, it seemed more of the classic Batgirl roots than sort of like what appeared to be the standard ultra-violent, very dark New 52 version. Um but I do think that sort of the, the DC universe lost a little bit of something when she stopped being uh, Oracle. And now to give that name to somebody else just seems wrong. Uh, back to the DC superhero girls' costumes. Uh, have we noticed that this is a Wonder Woman with pants that no one is freaking out about? <laughs> I know. I know. And even I would say kind of like the, um, the big shoulder pad sort of, uh, armor look, mm -hmm. you know. I haven't heard one peep. Everybody seems to really like it. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. Is it just that it's okay in an alternate universe, or is it that we got it right this time? Uh, hmm. Because you know this isn't a Wonder Woman with pants, but still massive cleavage. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. I bet if you tried to put this on the mainstream book, there would be more complaints about the shoulder armor than pants. But that's my take. Okay, and just your personal opinion, um, does Wonder Woman actually fly, or is it the wings on her boots that allow her to fly? Oh, uh, in this incarnation yes. or in general? No, no, in, uh, in this this version. I'm going to say she can fly. Okay. What do you what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I'd like to say that yes, she still has the gifts in general, but the wings on the boots kind of you know, give me a a Hermes kind of feel here. Hmm. Like huh. you know, like he specifically gave her boots that allow her to fly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll have to pay closer attention to see if like the wings like flap a little bit. <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> you know, it may just be part of the motif. I mean, she still has an invisible jet, so... Yeah. It's, it's kind of like they just took all the really fun trappings about a character and just put them in there and said, you know what? We're going with it. Yeah, and I think that they do, um, you know, not only sort of all of the fun trappings, but kind of like the best aspects of their personalities are really played up very well, you know? So Wonder Woman is brave and a leader, and... Supergirl is bright and optimistic, and Batgirl is smart and strategizes and all that stuff. Okay, so um, are there any characters that you would add to the DC Superhero Girls roster? Somebody you'd like to see, you know, not necessarily a main character, but somebody new to come in next next season? Well, um, if you've listened to other uh, podcasts that I've guested on, you know that I'm a big fan of Hawk and Dove, and we've definitely seen Hawk. I don't necessarily know if we've seen Dove in the background, and 
So having her uh, be part of the crew, I think, would uh, really make me happy. And if I really had a wish list, I would say that there should be a crossover with um, the Legion of Superheroes, and then all of the girl superheroes from the future could sort of come back. The female dove is one of my favorite characters. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I definitely agree on the Super Legion of Superheroes. I'd really, I know you and I both appreciate Ayla Rands. Yeah, <laughs> certainly my favorite. Yeah. Uh, personally, I, you know, if they hadn't introduced Amethyst in this movie, I'd like to have seen her added to the roster. But I mean, just showing her here shows that we could actually have crossovers in Gym World. Yeah. You know, even the ending of this um, uh, implies that maybe Eclipso isn't gone, and they've already tied Eclipso to Gemworld, so maybe we'll get that. I know, I'd appreciate it. All right, so overall, you know, just snowballing here. Out of ten coffee cups, what is your ranking? I'd probably give this... uh, I mean, it's going to sound really high, but it was just so much fun, you know, that I would probably say uh, eight and a quarter coffee cups. Eight and a quarter. I, I'm going to go just slightly better and say eight and a half. Oh, nice. I'll say, you know, if I can just comment on one more thing that oh, I forgot absolutely, to absolutely. Anything you is, want to add. Is that um, I really appreciated that... Uh, Ma Kent is voiced by Helen Slater, who, of course, was Supergirl in the movie. And Pa Kent was voiced by Dean Cain, who, of course, was Superman. So I thought that that was kind of a nice little touch as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it also gives a good callback to the Supergirl TV series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So just one more little sort of thing that I think is there more for the parents to appreciate than the kids. Okay, and personally, would you consider yourself more of a Professor Crazy Quilt or a Vice Principal Grod? <laughs> I definitely think I'm more Grod, uh, especially when I haven't had enough coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. So it sounds like you and I are both pretty well in agreement on this movie. But you do not get out of here unscathed. You have to take the worst quiz possible. I'm ready. <laughs> what do you consider to be your beverage of choice? Oh, it's definitely coffee. And it's coffee with just a little bit of milk. Um, I don't take any sugar or anything like that. Ah. Bit of a rebel. <laughs> I used to drink it black, but I started to get uh, too many stomach tummy aches. So I needed to sort of cut it with something. <laughs> I understand heartburn can not be anybody's friend. Do you prefer Betty or Veronica? Oh, Team Betty all the way. Okay. So, Wolfman Perez Titans or Claremont Byrne X-Men? Wow. Wow. Um, I think I'm going to say... And people are going to be surprised, but I'm probably going to say Claremont Byrne X-Men. Okay. Uh, any specific reasons? Uh, I'm a huge Jean Grey fan. I think that um, uh, the Wolfman Perez stuff went on 
kind of long. And so I think there were more issues in that run that I, or spots in that run that I could say like, oh, I think they were sort of treading water here, where I think pretty much the bulk of the burn stuff with Claremont, I think, holds up. There aren't many clunkers. Okay. Plus Terry Long. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, this... <laughs> so, given that we already have a Supergirl live action, which comic book character or series is in most need of an animated or live action adaptation? Uh, animated or live action? Um, uh, the Legion of Superheroes is a very easy answer for live action. But I think that if I was, uh, sorry for animated, but I'm going to say that if I was forced to pick a live action, I would pick the question. Oh. I, I think kind of like a uh, detective series, hard-hitting journalist who dons the faceless look to, you know, route out crime. I think that would work. Now, would you want that to be more of like an Arrowverse spinoff or just be its own thing? I think its own thing, and if I had my way, it would be like maybe on Showtime or HBO, like kind of hard hitting. Villain most in need of decaf. Villain most in need of decaf. Um, Doctor Light. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I'm not even supposed to bring that up, but I feel that his character was ruined. So you know, you just gotta lighten him up. I, I was about to ask you. Know, pre or post Dr. Light here, but uh, I, I think we know the answer. Yeah, if not him, I would say Desaad. You know, maybe Desaad would be less less angry. I get the feeling Desaad only has decaf. That's part of the punishment of Apocalypse. All your coffee is cold and it's decaf. It's the only cold thing on Apocalypse. Okay, so who is the best super pet? Uh, Streaky the super cat. No surprises there. No, none at all. Okay, so can Mighty Mouse beat up the George Reese Superman? Um, I think I'm going to have to say yes, and I'm going to base that only on the fact that he always ducks when somebody throws their gun at him, and... Uh, that makes me think maybe he's a poser. <laughs> <laughs> Has nothing to do with the fact that Mighty Mouse once carried five elephants in one hand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The final question. The Professor Allen question. A lifetime of 25 cent comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you. Or, comics are highly expensive but Doctor Doom owes you a favor. Um, I'm going to say comics are expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor, because I think he could probably pirate me all of the comics I want <laughs> in some easy way. <laughs> that would be my favor, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you being here, Ange. I'm glad you came by to talk about this. Uh all right, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure Ange would love to tell you where to find him on the Internet. Sure thing. Um, I'm mostly uh, active on Twitter at uh, Dr. Ange 70 I run a Supergirl blog called Comic Box Commentary. Uh, don't ask me about that name. 
Um, and I also do reviews every Friday on the Legion of Super Bloggers blog. And thanks for inviting me. This was a blast. Oh, I'm I'm glad to have you. I'm glad you glad you agreed to this, you know, mild torture. <laughs> no, it's all great. Okay. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Ange also has a summer spot in the Bottle City of Candor, but I, I don't think he gives out the address. <laughs> kind of hard to give no. people copies of the key anyway. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you need access to the shrinking ray, so. See, it's, it's a whole complicated process. I don't even know why he has a spot. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I think that about wraps us up. For those of you who enjoy sticking around, I'll be back with feedback in Espresso Yourself. And, Ange, I'm afraid we're going to have to turn on the Phantom Zone projector. I I think you might want to move just a little bit to your left. (laughs) Thanks for the warning. Thanks for the invite again. (laughs) All right. All right, I'm going to cut to some promos and be right back. Hey there, my name's Nathaniel, and I'm here to tell you about an exciting new podcast. What are you doing? Oh, hey, Liz. I'm just recording the the podcast promo. You're recording the promo for the Punch Like a Girl podcast? Yeah. You. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the hosts. I have more podcast experience. What? You're going to sit there and mansplain to people about a podcast focusing on graphic novels and trade collections with female protagonists? Um, oh. Yeah. Can I at least tell them how it's available on iTunes and Stitcher and at punchlikeagirlpod.wordpress.com? No. Shoot. All right, well, hang on. I'll delete this. We'll try again. That's not delete. That's the button for publish. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Welcome back. It's time for the feedback section. Last episode, we talked about Phantom Force number zero because of Jack Kirby's 100th birthday. Twitter favorites and retweets came from Long Box of Darkness, Greg Arujo, Caffeinated Cup, Chris and Jerry, both of Bat Books for Beginners, Rob Crawford, Long Box Graveyard, Ange of the Comic Box Commentary Blog, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Between the Pages, Sam King, Ryan C. at Trash Film Guru, Nerdy Minds Magazine, Mike Garvey of Waiting for Doom, Trekker Talk, The Kirby Cast, 
Nethead, Jack Kirby 100 Chris, Comic Reflections, Warlord Worlds, MOS 6502, Slang Word Resists, Laurel at Mountain Flower 1, Reggie Reggie of the Cosmic Treadmill Podcast, Podstalgic, Sean Michael Ortega, Hostess Ads, Cash Flag, Joe Crawford, Alan Middleton, John D. Knoll, Captain Marvel 75, Wardle Sims, Charlton Hero, and Richard Field. On Facebook, we got likes and shares from Joe Crawford, Pat Sampson, The Longbox Crusade, Alan Middleton, Ryan Daly, and Greg Arujo. As far as feedback on the last episode, I got a lot of feedback from people saying that Phantom Force was a series that they had never heard of, or if they had, they never found it on the shelves back in 1994. Good to know I was able to open up a small bit of Kirby lore to all the comic fans out there. I also got an email from a new listener right before the last episode came out. His name is Jason Zeller, and I didn't have time to include it in the last episode, but I wanted to address it here. Jason writes, I am really glad I found your podcast. It was the Golden Age story of Black Owl posted on Twitter that made me check it out. I think Golden Age stories are amazing, and it's great to check out the history of the colorful characters of Golden Age comics. I listened to the podcasts in one day and enjoyed them all. I really enjoy the format of plot synopsis and then honest review to follow. Thanks for staying focused on the story and keeping things fairly short and easily digestible as podcasts go. I also like the promos in between because it helps me transition between the segments And also, it's always good to hear of other comic book podcasts. As for myself, I have a similar history as yourself growing up in the 1980s and really collecting comics seriously in the early 1990s before falling off a few years later. Your LCS podcast really brought back memories as well. My LCS was Collector's World in Nashville, Tennessee. I have great memories of it where I remember avidly collecting the Nightfall and Maximum Carnage week by week as they came out. I fell away for a few years and came back looking for the store, and sadly it had gone out of business. I've always come back to comics, however, mostly the older ones, of course. My main comic books of interest cover the Golden Age, especially the Justice Society of America, Conan the Barbarian, Sergeant Rock, and other war comics, horror horror comics from the 1950s to the 1980s, and the Legion of Superheroes. That's quite a range, I know. Do you think you may cover some of those? Thanks for all you do, and keep up the great work with the wonderful podcasts, and I love drinking coffee while reading or talking about comics, too. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. Those are great words, and I really appreciate it. Glad to know that you and I share a similar history on this. Uh, I know I sent Jason an email answering these questions, but just to kind of glaze over it a little bit here, uh, I love the JSA, but I may not actually be covering them much. 
just because there are so many other really dedicated podcasts to them. Uh, war comics and horror comics both are on the docket at some point. Um, you know, especially since October's coming up, there's probably going to be a couple of spooky-ish stories, but nothing directly from, you know, quote-unquote traditional horror comics. Uh, I love the Legion as well. The Legion, there is a Legion episode coming up in the near future. I also really, really love Conan, but I, I haven't quite figured out how to include him yet. But don't, I'm, I'm not ruling it out. That about wraps it up for the feedback. You can always comment on the show directly at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. You can shoot us an email at coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at coffeecomicsblog. Until next time, enjoy your coffee, enjoy your comics, and come back here where the coffee is never too cold and the comics are never too old. in the female furies and active in the attempt to conquer superhero high. Stand down, Lady Shiva. Big Barda is a student here now. Where's the hidden camera, huh? Is this another prank, Harley? Oh, I wish. That would have been a doozy. Seriously? Principal Waller let her in? <laughs>